0: William Adams was born in Kent, England in the year 1890. He was my great grandfather. With all the other British young men of his generation, he went to fight for king and country in World War I. William Adams and his mates would fix bayonets on their rifles and charge across barren fields into the mouths of enemies' heavy machine guns. It was an old method of offense, doomed to fail against the new method of defense and those guns. Never before and never since has a generation been cut down like his. The only way to survive was to stay in the trenches. Attempts were made to improve the attackers' chances by doing a preliminary artillery bombardment. But the enemy was able to just go deeper in their holes and into their concrete bunkers and weather that bombardment. And the moment it stopped, a deadly race would ensue. The defenders would rush up out of their deep holes to set up their heavy machine guns. And the young men, like my grandfather, would go up and over from their trenches and charge across no man's land. But the defenders always won the race. And on Flanders Field, the young men stumbled and fell, cut down with mechanical efficiency. Today, we remember them, and those who have served in conflicts since then. This week is the second in our series, Fallen Heroes. Last week, it started with some amazing testimonies from Teen Challenge. Wasn't last week amazing? (laughs) Wasn't it fun? No power but the Holy Spirit, basically, and that was enough. We heard some amazing testimonies of hope and freedom from alcohol and drug abuse, things that you go, there's no way you come back from that, and they did. And so today, as we continue our Fallen Heroes series, we want to expand on that hope. When I think of hope, the verse comes to mind from Isaiah chapter 40, they will run and not be weary. However, the scripture passage does not start out with hope, it starts out with despair, In Isaiah 40, verse 27, it says, Why do you complain, Jacob? Why do you say, Israel? Why are God's people saying, My way is hidden from the Lord. My cause is disregarded by my God. Have you ever felt that way before? Do you feel that way today? Like God does not see what's going on and He is not intervening, if He does see, to make things better for you. You may be caught in a circumstance, you may be caught in your own failure, but you say, where is God? Do you not know, though, the scripture continues. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. Brothers and sisters, let's remember who God is today. He is not exhausted or out of energy, even though we may feel that we are. Even if our faith is weary because of circumstances that don't make sense to us right now, God has not run out of wisdom. Even this now that we are going through, this present moment, is in the hands of an everlasting God. So what will God do? Verse 39 says, He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Now, perhaps we'd like the answer to be different. We'd like it to be, God will make it all go away. That your habitual personal failures would just be taken away. That your despair would just turn into sunshine automatically. But God instead says he will increase your strength. And in verse 30, it says, Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who wait hope or trust in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and they will not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Man, I like that scripture. The word that we're trying to translate with wait, hope, or trust, the Hebrew word in the original, helps us to see what it means to draw this strength from God as we wait before him in prayer, hoping on him and trusting in him, getting our eyes up on Jesus. Jesus himself, when in Gethsemane, was battling the deepest of despair and temptation. And he said to his disciples, Watch and pray so that you don't fall into temptation, because the spirit's willing, but the flesh is weak. In Gethsemane, Jesus took his own advice, watching, waiting, praying, trusting, hoping in the Father, and renewing his strength for the cross that would come for him, because he knew the secret. He knew the secret that if we can learn to wait before the Lord, there is an unlimited strength and power from God that can be poured into our lives to take us through any circumstance, any temptation, any problem, period. One aspect of human weakness of the flesh, only one but a serious one, is sexual lust. Jesus said, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And for our culture, we might have to remind them that he's talking about one of the commandments that said adultery is one of the big sins. Modern culture instead offers the sin of lust in advertising, saturating us with it. We hardly know it, but it's there all over the place. It's in our entertainment pervasively, and it draws us into pornography. And it often... The world just says there's nothing wrong with it. But Jesus is crystal clear on this issue. The sin of lust has no place in the life of a Christian. Have you ever driven by a pig farm? You're in the country. It's all green and beautiful. and Then you find out why it's so green. Oh, that smell hits you. The pig farm. Now, how many of you have been on Netflix recently? trying to find something decent to watch. R-M-A, R-M-A, R-M-A. PG, it's a, it's a cartoon. <laughs> and you, you're, you have to search, you have to go through that manure for quite a while until you can find something decent to watch. Pure flicks, thank you. <laughs> the problem is, Christians, we're getting used to the smell. So many well-written, well-acted, well-produced movies and series come at the price of a toxic dose of sexual immorality in your home. Can we honestly agree with the psalmist who said, I will refuse to look at anything vile and vulgar? Are we in accordance with Ephesians 5, 3 to 4, which says, let there be no sexual immorality, impurity, or greed among you. Such sins have no place among God's people. Obscene stories, foolish talk, and coarse jokes, these are not for you. Instead, let there be thankfulness to God. Now, why is it, guys, that Jesus... And the whole rest of the Bible teach so clearly that lust has no place in the Christian life. It's not because he's trying to take away our fun. It's because he has something much richer in store for us. The first reason it's so serious is that lust is cutting off your connection with God. Ephesians 5 says, referring to some people that have have been living in lust, they have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Living lustfully puts a callous on our conscience. When we go to God, if we even feel motivated still to go to God, we tend to come up with nothing. If it's in our entertainment, if it's in our lives and we haven't noticed it, it can bring down a grayness of spirit Coming upon us like a poison gas that we don't even realize, and it infects our connection with God, infects our mind, makes us callous. The second problem with lust is that it is robbing you of love. Good friendships are actually harder to have in today's world because we have been trained to see any person as a sexual object, and so no one is safe. A quality marriage is harder to find if you're caught in lust. You are not as likely to attract a godly person, nor are you as likely to be sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit if for God to lead you to the right person. In your marriage, you can lose your intimacy with your spouse. Lest you think that the Bible is against sex, you could always read Song of Songs. It is very for it within marriage. And in that, it says over and over again, I am my beloved and my beloved is mine. But if you have sexual lust in your marriage, then you can't say that because you are belonging to a thousand other lovers, if not in body, at least in mind. Lust is enslaving, it is the third reason. Peter wrote about some false teachers saying, with an appeal to twisted sexual desires, they lure back into sin those who have barely escaped from a lifestyle deception. They promise freedom. Oh that's true, isn't it? They promise freedom, but they themselves are enslaved to sin and corruption, for you are a sla- you are a slave to whatever controls you. We're always told that men should lead the way. I'm not sure exactly how that plays out, but I'll tell you how they have led the way in pornography. It's to the point that reviewing statistics on pornography today from CovenantEyes.com, I was so discouraged as I went home and called it a day. Turned in early, it sucked the life out of me because the statistics are so horrible. The majority of men in the church even are struggling with occasional use of pornography and a very significant minority would be addicted to pornography. And my heart aches this morning for the women who have almost started to give up on men and said, I guess if you can't beat them, join them. We've been reading romance novels full of lust. Let's add pornography. Let's change our sexual standards. The phenomenal success of Fifty Shades of Grey among all women of all ages and even some in the church, is a stunning wake-up call. Can you smell it? Addicting lust buries a man under shame and secrecy so deep that it is easier for them to admit to being a drug addict than to that. And for a Christian woman, she is even more ashamed because women aren't supposed to have these issues. Well, ladies and gentlemen, Gentlemen, in a culture experiencing an epidemic of lust, many of us have been infected and it's time to start talking about it and find the venues that will work for that. Working with people that have been addicted to pornography, I have noticed something extremely disturbing. It takes them to places they did not intend to go. People think that they can stop until they actually try and they find that they are caught Then the addiction pulls them deeper. For some, it takes them from fantasy to the waking nightmare of adultery, marital breakdown, and damage to their own children, something they would never have done had they been in their right minds to those that they love. For some people, it takes them to prostitutes. Despite fear of prosecution, fear of disease, and shame, common sense crumbles when you're under the control of sin. And for some, their desires become warped, leading to perversion, or violence, or in some cases, even to child pornography. How do you get there? (laughs) You start on the road. One day, that puppy that you've been keeping grows up into a wolf, and it devours you. The fourth reason is that lust can steal the purpose of your life. This is really exciting, isn't it? Don't you feel lifted up? Bear with me for a second. Lust can steal the purpose of your life. You know the story in the Old Testament with Samson. He was a leader, a judge of Israel, called to help deliver Israel from an oppressing, cruel nation, the Philistines. And God made Samson anointed with the Holy Spirit so that he would be incredibly strong in battle. But even as Samson goes about fighting these battles, he very quickly makes compromises. He marries a non-believing Philistine woman woman of all, all things, very quickly falls it up with the nastiest of divorces and then falls in love with a prostitute named Delilah. And, and it's just one of these stories that doesn't make any sense until you finally realize that what Samson is doing is he's playing a game with God to see how far he can go into sin before God leaves him. He's not really playing the game with Delilah, he's playing the game with God, And one day he just goes too far and God does leave him. His strength departs, the Philistines come in, they imprison this man and the man who had eyes full of lust has them gouged out and is imprisoned. And it is only at rock bottom that he cries out to God and God gives him the honor of ending his life in one final partial victory over the Philistines. But how many of you would like to live a life that at the end people could say he or she was partially faithful to what God called them to be? They partially blessed their family. They partially made an impact on the world they were in. We don't want partial, my friends. We want the whole thing. We don't want want Satan to make us unfit for service to the kingdom of God. We are meant to run. We're meant to have the power of the Holy Spirit flow through us. We were meant to be a blessing on our families, a conduit for the love of Christ, to be men of power, women of purity, who know the wonder and passion of God. That's what we were meant for. But instead, we've been playing a game with God and the people that only we were put in their lives to touch for the good Are getting nothing from us. There will be empty seats in heaven because we have played games with God. I bet you're ready for some good news. (laughs) I think we need some good news. Jesus said, If the sun sets you free, you will be free indeed. You might be asking how. I've prayed to Jesus don't sell me on another prayer, pastor. I'm stuck. I've prayed my face off and nothing's happening. You've been outgunned and cut down, my friend. A BBC article on World War I explained what was happening in those trenches and those charges. It said, rarely in history have commanders had to adapt to a more radically different technological environment. The old tactics were not working anymore. You see, for about a Several thousand years, to win a war, you charge forward with blades. And it was only in World War I that those tactics finally stopped working. No match was a blade for a machine gun and trenches. So they had to develop new tactics and weapons. Here's what they realized. Rather than sending men out in rows, eyes forward, straight ahead, they were much more effective if they went out in little squads, little groups. And they jumped to that crater, and someone would fire and maneuver and protect. Another guy would throw a grenade, and they, and they developed more, better weapons that were better for trench warfare, and they got innovative. And these little squads of men learned how to fire, maneuver, and protect, and, and work as a unit. And then, on top of it, they developed the tank. Now, that's some support. And it changed the technological battlefield environment so that finally, those attacking had a chance against those defending. Christians have been put at a technological and tactical disadvantage versus lust. This is just sugar, but you're gonna get the idea of what it's representing here pretty quick. If you've ever struggled with this, it's just sugar. Imagine if you were a drug addict, and you could at any moment pull out a mobile device and get an instant hit of Pure. No one would know it was free, accessible at any time. Imagine also if any, every screen, television, computer station could deliver the same hit for you. This, my friends, is a machine gun of lust unlimited pornography, chat rooms, and access to relationships with strangers. We come to church, we sit in our rows, our eyes forward, and then we charge off alone while people fall all around us. And it is not working very well anymore. It is the battle of our time, a battle of our minds. Good news, my brothers and sisters, you are not called to run alone. In Ecclesiastes it says, though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves, or three, if they're woven together, in the, together, you can't break that. So we as a church are forming into squads, first in your small groups. This is a great place to find support. I want to encourage you this week or next week when you meet to make sure you have some time where, if it's a mixed group, that you're in men and women's sections, maybe for prayer, and support one another. It's a great opportunity to say, how have I been doing with my entertainment? Have I been letting this culture seep in? Have I been making room for lust in my life? That's a great environment for support. For those of you though, that the lust has progressed to the point where it has control. It's got your mind, it's dictating your actions. I wanna invite you to celebrate recovery tomorrow night at 6.30. Celebrate recovery is the support you need. It's like a tank, my friends. And it's about time you had that kind of support. Come on out. And you know what? No one will even know why you're there. Because we keep them guessing at Celebrate Recovery. Did they have an addiction? Are they here for an abuse? Do they have depression? Don't worry about it. No one will know exactly what's wrong with you. And no one will be in a position to judge you anyway. Because it's a place of honesty where people deal with their problems. Every Sunday night, 6.30 to 8.30, in squads, we can win this together. James 5, 16 says, Therefore confess your sins to one another so that, and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The prayer of the righteous is powerful and effective. Satan has us so alone, so discouraged, but when we can confess our sins to one another in a confidential environment, and you've got to give that to people. Confidential means you're not talking about their stuff to your spouse or to your friends or anyone else. But if we can come together confidentially, you'll find healing, you'll inspire hope in others, you'll, you'll inspire bravery in them, and they'll confess. It's so powerful, and then we get together. Hebrews uh, says, you know, we gotta keep on meeting together. We gotta spur one another along. In the Greek, that just means this. Come on, man, keep going. Don't give up, keep your head, let's go. We need to get together, pray for one another, confess, kick each other in the butt a little bit. And we have something coming up this Saturday Moncton Wesleyan and Sunnybrae Baptist have teamed up together to bring the Purity Conference. I apologize to the women that this one is just for men, but we're going to start there. It is free and it's confidential. It is from 9 till 12. I invite men that are struggling with this and men that want to be there for others that are struggling with it. It's not even at your own church, so you don't have to worry that people are going to look at your car and go, "Uh uh-huh. I knew. I knew he had a problem. We're put in another place. And, and it's going to be great because 1 Corinthians 1, 1.3 says that God comforts us in all our troubles so we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort that we ourselves have already received from God. So men are going to get very real and really share with you, not just about how bad it's been, but about how good it is to be free. Paul said, uh, I run with purpose in every step. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should do. And you're going to get those tools, that discipline, that game plan for winning if you come there together. So here is what life looks like when you run free with God. The first thing you get is you get a mind at peace. To set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. No more war in your heart and mind. No more fatigue and weariness. Two is a pure, you get a pure passion. Paul said, but this one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on to the goal for the prize of the heavenly call of God in Christ Jesus. You're free guys to live an energized, passionate life for things that matter. Your strength wasn't meant to be dissipated on lust. It was meant to be focused on love and things that matter. And the third thing you get is an eternal purpose. When David died, it was said that he had served God's purpose in his generation. Each one of us, my friends, was made to run, not to relapse. And I invite you to run today. Tia Bailey, the artist known as 180, is going to come right now, and he's going to share a new single that he put together, which boldly speaks about the issues that we've been talking about today. Would you welcome Tia Bailey? Hey, good morning, good morning. Um, This is a powerful Sunday, obviously, uh, as some of you guys see and notice, and uh, for myself as well, it is something that, uh, that I've not been immune to, something I've struggled with as well. So when, we, when I was figuring out um, creating a new, new album to put out, I felt that uh, there were some things that still needed to be said and should be said and talked about because we don't talk about it. And so uh, we came up with Have Mercy. You know, my grandfather survived World War I, uh, and he immigrated to Nova Scotia, but the bullets might have missed his his, uh, body, but they didn't miss his mind, shell-shocked. And he actually, PTSD is what we call it now, he passed on a brokenness to his family that he formed in Nova Scotia that was in my, fa- my grandfather's life and was passed on to my father's life and only a meeting with Jesus Christ interrupted that cascading brokenness in my family. Would you like to interrupt the cascading brokenness in your family? Would you like to be made whole and new in your minds? I invite you to it. I invite you to it in the small groups, and I invite you to it at Celebrate Recovery tomorrow night at 6.30, and I invite you to it at the Purity Conference next Saturday at 9 a.m. till 12. You have an opportunity, because life really matters. What you're doing really matters. Yesterday, I, my wife and I had the extreme joy of seeing our son married. He's age 21. So 24 years after she and I started off our lives together, we're watching our son get married to a wonderful, godly woman. We're watching two families that love God coming together and pouring out their blessing on them. And I had the extreme privilege of praying the prayer of blessing after their ceremony. And I just broke down as I asked for all the goodness of God on their lives. And so today I would do the same for you, my brothers and my sisters. I would pray that no cursing comes down on you or yours and is passed down. I would pray for wholeness of your mind. I would pray for freedom. And in fact, I do pray these things in Jesus' name for you.